Hello, and welcome to Race to Finish, a Doctor Who Big Finish podcast. I'm David. And I'm Carrick. Today we're talking about The Spectre of Lanyon Moore. Written and directed by Nicholas Pegg. Yay, not Nicholas Briggs for once. Music and sound design by Alastair Locke. It's our second Sixth Doctor and Evelyn story. Yep, this is also the first time the Brigadier appears at Big Finish. Apparently the idea was to have him meet the incarnations of the Doctor that he didn't meet on screen, which were six and eight. Should we just get into things now? <laughs> well, this is Nicholas Pig's only writing credit, which I find pretty interesting because he's done a lot of acting and directing for Big Finish over the past 20 years. He's still with them now. But this is the only thing that he's got a writing credit on, and if this had bombed, I'd understand it, but this was pretty well received, so it does seem a bit odd that he was never commissioned to write another script. Maybe it was like a personal preference thing. Maybe he just doesn't like writing. It could be. Yeah, I I do get the impression that this was very much a passion project for him, and maybe that was just like one and done. Well, I mean, if that's the case, I will say it certainly shows through. I actually really like this script. This quite a bit to talk about and criticize, I suppose, at least depending on your perspective, but I still really like it. It's very traditional. <laughs> I hate the word traditional. I went on this little Twitter rant about this, but I I loathe the whole th- idea of traditional stories, mostly because Doctor Who is such an eclectic franchise that the whole idea of anything being traditional is kind of stupid. What tradition are we supposed to be following here? Um, I tend to just assume it means any story written after a certain era of the show that is attempting to recreate a previous one. In this case, um, the eras in question seem to be Philip Hinchcliffe with Lashings of John Pertwee. The gothic horror atmosphere, the presence of the brig, the like rural English setting. Oh, there's a few other little cast notes in this. Barnaby Edwards, who was... Uh, in the Marian Conspiracy as the French um, French dude. Uh, he's in this uh, as Philip Ludgate. I prefer his performance in this, mostly because he doesn't have a silly accent. Uh, Helen Goldwyn plays a few, two or three minor characters, uh, one of whom dies pretty horribly. And she's very prominent in Big Finish now. I mean, she's always been fairly prominent, but Early on, she would just turn up as the odd voice role, but she's a writer and director now, too. And she's actually pretty good at it. I'm kind of put my neck out for her on that one. Mm -hmm. Getting back to what you're saying about tradition, to me, uh, one phrase I often use instead of tradition is just generic. Like, I've used the word generic at least ten times, probably, in the past several episodes. Oh, yes. By that I mean, I mean a Doctor Who story that's, just hitting the really basic Doctor Who notes, which this does. And usually I really dislike stories that do that. I'm kind of at a point now where I ju- I'm just a little bored with them. And by, and by traditional Doctor Who beats, I mean, that can mean a couple things. But in this case, it means an alien crashes onto Earth and is evil and eventually tries to destroy slash take over slash whatever the Earth. <laughs> which sort of is what happens here. Yeah, we're not really spoiling much. The very first scene of this is an alien being left behind on Earth. And, they, and who is San, We even know what his name is. He's called Sancreda. He's uncredited, but I'm pretty sure he's played by Toby Longworth, who also plays Professor Morgan. And that's the, the angry Welsh guy who does not get on with the Doctor. He Now, he's a fairly prolific voice actor, especially... 
Big Finish is he's done a lot of them. So it's like him, Helen Goldwyn, two very prominent Big Finish performers turning up for the first time here. So what do we think of this? I think I've given my opinion a bit already, but what about you? Um, well, we were talking about traditional, and the author's notes will advertise the story as being shamelessly traditional. And given how I often, if not hate, I often find that mode of storytelling very boring and limited, I will say that I mostly enjoy this. It's not one of my all-time favorites by any stretch, and I think it's a bit clunky in places, but it is one that I would recommend to someone starting out Big Finish for the first time. It's, yeah, here's a fairly unchallenging bit of Doctor Who that will mostly entertain you. And it has the Brigadier in it. Yes. Yeah, that's basically my opinion on this. It's inoffensive and mostly solid. So I feel similarly, although I think, again, like Phantasmagoria, I'm going to be a little more positive. Again, very traditional, quote-unquote, but... I still really liked it. I think that it's mostly because, as you said, this was a passion project for the writer, and that kind of shows through. So it's not the most memorable story. The script is still really good, and I can appreciate that. Um, like, there, there's shit here to enjoy. <laughs> I think the best thing this story does is capture the environment. Now, this is set in Cornwall, which is a part of England I have not been to. I actually haven't explored England much outside of London and Birmingham, and I and a brief sojourn to Sussex that I did in 2009, dear God. But the local history, the Neolithic remains, they all get such attention to detail in this. It's This is clearly someone who has spent a lot of time there and loves it, and so it comes across very very strongly and that i think is like i just said this is that is i think the strongest part of this the how well it captures the environment yes for sure there's like a scene early on where the doctor and evelyn are talking about the history of cornwall and a lot of other shit too like that the entire story is kind of playing on a lot of cornwall folklore there's a lot of legends and folk tales about pixies and the aliens in this are basically pixies they're not trying to hide that fact it's very clear, like they call them pixies, basically. Now, while I do like the way the story captures environment, it does have a weakness, which is in no way unique to it. It's a problem I have with basically any time Doctor Who attempts for gothic or horror of that kind of thing. It's that we know what's happening, and a fundamental component of most horror or attempts to create create atmosphere is that there's a sense of mystery of the unknown which creates tension but in this we know from the very first scene that it's an alien left behind on earth who's responsible for everything so even with the whole rural moorland atmosphere thing going on it's not really that scary it's it's frequently atmospheric and enjoyable to listen to but there was no point where i felt tense really i don't think this was trying to be scary though because i can't imagine the story being scary even the one or two scenes that are kind of dark there's like two scenes i I would call potentially like difficult to listen to only one of them really feels like it the other one i literally don't know what was happening we'll get into that in the spoiler section i'm sure yeah also the brigadiers in this oh yeah we were kind of we've kind of buried the lead on that haven't we (laughs) yeah I just want to say, and another issue I have with this, is that the Brigadier doesn't really get to do much. I mean, he has a decent amount of 
screen time or whatever speaker time. We really need to find a way to sort that out. But most of the time, he's just this, the Doctor's sounding board. The Doctor is doing his own investigating the remains to sort out what alien stuff's going on. Evelyn's off investigating the local baronet and history and stuff because she's a historian, that's what she does. And that's cool that she has her own role, but it does end up limiting the Briggs role in things. He's just there for the Doctor to talk to and be confused by all the technobabble explanations of how Sancreda, the titular Spectre, actually does what he does. Something about psionic powers involving rocks, I, I honestly do not remember it that well. And I have listened to the story more times than I can count. It's very vague, but getting back... So two things. Getting First of all, getting back to the brig. Yeah, basically, your enjoyment of this is really going to depend on... Well, okay, I'm a Doctor Who fan. I enjoyed the Brigadier's presence nonetheless, but it's still pretty basic. And so a lot of that's going to boil down to how much you enjoy Nicholas Courtney and the Brigadier, which I think most people do. So it's still all right. I still wish he had more to do, but it's decent. I kind of wish that his dynamic with the Doctor was maybe a bit different because it just it's just like, oh, they're old friends, and it just kind of ends there. But that's my own little quibble. Something I wish they had done with the Brigadier that they don't do is he doesn't really get much of a dynamic with Evelyn. Like, he gets a dynamic with the Doctor, and I do like Nicholas Courtney's chemistry with Colin Baker. It's, it is amazing to think that they've never actually um, worked together as their characters before because they slip into their relationship so easily but what i want more of is this is the first person evelyn has met who also knows the doctor knows who he is knows where he's from what he does and they don't really interact that much i feel like there would be a lot of potential for meaty character stuff there yeah, there's a, there's a scene towards the very end. It's like one of the last four or five scenes where Evelyn's like, oh, I gather... Or maybe it's earlier than that. I don't remember. It is the last scene. It is like the very last scene. Evelyn's like, oh, so you know the Doctor then. And it's like, yes, let's go and have dinner at my pub. <laughs> Evelyn wants to know what the chocolate pudding's like. The Brigadier says he's more of a soup man, which I think is a reference to Nicholas Courtney's own actual tastes. <laughs> but... But that's, it's cute, but, um, god damn it, I want meaty character stuff where the Brigadier warns Evelyn of what it can be like when you spend too much time with the Doctor. Please, give me something like that. It's, it's early days for Evelyn and for Big Finish, I think. It would have been amazing. Like, this is Evelyn just starting out on her travels. Give her, like, a flash forward of what it can be like. It's, <laughs> Sorry. Granted, wasn't really the kind of character work that they did in traditional, I, I, you can't see me, but I'm doing finger quotes, traditional stories like this, <laughs> which, is probably, which is probably why it's not here. And that's why I kind of hate traditional modes of storytelling, because they limit you on the kinds of like character writing you can do. But on the matter of character drama, the closest we get to character drama in this is... um. I mentioned Toby Longworth is kind of doing double duty here as uh, both Sancreda and as Professor Morgan, two very different characters. Now, Morgan is kind of a prat. He's like, he's the skeptic. He's an old-fashioned archaeologist who does everything with a trowel. He doesn't approve of these newfangled people with their machines, and he thinks that the Doctor is a raving lunatic talking about people from outer space. And at one point, the Doctor just has this 
incredibly long and really rather rude speech to him, calling him a small-minded idiot. He does it rather more verbosely than I just did, because he is the Sixth Doctor. And afterwards, Evelyn just takes him aside and says, Doctor, that was rude. The Professor is not an idiot. He is a clever man in his field. It's just that he has no idea how to deal with shit like aliens and stuff. So could you maybe be a bit more gentle to him? She's a lot nicer than you just were, though. Let's be real here. She was a lot nicer in how she said that than you were. This isn't like Donna, where she just or she angrily calls him out on his on his bullshit. Yet, yeah, but the point is, she does call him out and she tells him to apologize, and he does. Yes, that is my favorite character beat in this. It's an important it's, oh, beat. Yeah, Evelyn actually forcing the sixth Doctor to be less of a dick. <laughs> yeah, I, I have this theory with between this one and I. Think the next two six and Evelyn stories. I'm not sure. I have to check the order. Several of these early ones are feature six Evelyn and a returning character or a monster or both, and I would not be surprised again not to get not to put on my tinfoil hat again. But I would not be surprised if they intentionally did this so people would be interested enough to check these out and then be able to signal that hey we're doing something a bit different with six and you should keep an eye and you should watch out for it. I mean, that's kind of my own tinfoil hat, but it would make sense. Yeah, it does. The uh, The next two are uh, Apocalypse Element and Blood Tide, Daleks, Silurians, and Romana. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. <laughs> anyway, let's go into spoilers. Yes. Um, okay, there's one thing that... The biggest problem I have with this, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, it's just that something I, it's something I noticed structurally when I was listening to this time, Evelyn has this subplot where she's investigating this baronet. And I kind of realized while listening to it that this is completely superfluous and it exists to hope to pad out the runtime and give Evelyn something to do. I mean, it does kind of connect to other events, but it is kind of a side subplot thing. It's entertaining enough, I guess, but it's the kind of thing that I noticed that it was not really necessary that makes sense i still enjoyed it well enough but i'm oh 100 percent. i'm actually surprised i didn't notice that now that you've pointed it out because um when that plot is dealt with at the end it's like sancrida turns up confronts the baronet it's you have caused me pain and delay and just kills him and that's the end of that he even says this was just delay it's almost as if we're directly stating that yeah the only purpose of this subplot was to fill out time yeah i mean the baronet does indirectly create cause the first cliffhanger which i still don't understand and i've listened to this about four or five times over the years i i don't know what happened in that first cliffhanger <laughs> basically san Creda, he's the specter of lanyon moore he has this like psionic field which the baronet, with the help of Barnaby Edwards, oh yeah, he turns out to be evil, uh, he was tapping into it and using it to create, like, psychic projections and telekinesis and stuff like that. And he uses it to kill hiker Helen Goldwyn just after Evelyn's made friends with her. So, yeah, that is what happened, but how did it kill her? It's very vague. We hear some giggling and, like, it manifesting and then a scream. And then we cut to, like, a while afterwards and there's, like, a desiccated corpse. What did it do? <laughs> I think the implication is meant to be, like, it 
I don't know, tore her to death with its bare hands and teeth, something like that. That's just a really funny image, though. And it's it's just not very clear from the audio. I guess that's the implication from the dialogue, but I would have liked a, a bit more, and it would have been a bit more visceral than what we get. Because like, they make a big point of the fact that Evelyn is in shock after this, and yet, in terms of how it's executed, it doesn't seem like it'd be that shocking. I mean, watching someone die is shocking, but I mean for Doctor Who, in any case. So I just want to say, there are three characters in this who turn out to be surprise villains. One of them is the baronet guy. The other one is Barnaby Edwards' character, who is probably the one who's most surprising, but also the one that makes the least sense. And the other is a pre-Mrs. Wibsey in the next Cottage Audios, uh, Susan Jameson as Mrs. Moynihan. I love Mrs. Moynihan. Honestly... Every time this character is on the speakers, I'm like, this woman is a turf. She's 100% a turf. There's this even one point in this in a museum where she's like talking mockingly to another woman. You, with all your makeup and your greedy little eyes. It's, oh, yes. Um. <laughs> well, I should mention what? that the character that she's talking to is Greek. And so I think that it might be more of a racial Thing going on there, but it still does sound pretty. So she's turfy. a racist turf, then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> okay, but when I mention like the three surprise villains, uh, two of them are working together. Uh, Barnaby Edwards turns out to be working with Sir What's His Face. Yeah, we Sir should probably Archibald. explain. Uh, Sir uh, Barnaby Edwards is he's like a assistant on the on the dig. We should explain. I don't know if we mentioned that earlier. Yeah, he's like he's Toby Longworth's tech guy he's the one with all the newfangled archaeological devices and it turns out he's working with sir archibald to help him take over the world for reasons which are really not clear i don't even get why sir archibald is doing it really he he just seems to have like a major entitlement thing and when evelyn and him are like he's got evelyn captured and even calls him crackers over and over again and, but then he starts going on about Alastair Crowley and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was a real organization. And then he starts talking about the dissolution of universal morality, do as thy wilt should be the whole of the war, you know, kill everyone now, condone first degree murder, advocate cannibalism, eat shit. Okay, now you're just quoting Pink Flamingos. <laughs> yes, this, this whole segment is like a ContraPoints dialectic. See, you you said that to me, and I was like, I don't remember, because you, you listened to this before I got around to listening to it, and you messaged that to me, and I was like, I don't remember that, and then I listened to it, and I don't think it's that much like a ContraPoints dialect, it's so short, and it's so, like, obtuse, it's about the most, it's about the most, like, obscure historical philosophy shit out imaginable most people aren't gonna know who what the what the philosophy of Aleister Crowley is the, the dude was a like openly hedonistic bisexual who filed his teeth to points and worshiped satan you don't get to be that crazy without having at least a dozen books written about you now this may sound like we're getting off topic, but in our defense, so was the play at this point, because all this talk about Crowley, the Freemasons, the Order of the Golden Dawn, the dissolution of universal morality, it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot, or the themes. Like, I don't get this guy, I just don't. And I don't get why Barnaby Edwards works for him. This subplot is basically just to fill time. It's enjoyable enough, but it, it feels... 
it's entertaining, but having listened to this a few times, whenever we cut back to it, I was just kind of like, I, I know where this is going, and it's, it's not interesting. It's not interesting, and I know it gives Evelyn a time to shine, I suppose. So that's that's always worth something. But that's about it. Mrs. Moynihan, she is also the, she's the final surprise villain, and um, what is her deal? She's just a really bitter woman. That's it. And I'm, I'm, I enjoyed the performance enough that that's enough motivation for me. She was fun. She's just kind of a bitch underneath all that jolly, underneath all that friendliness, which is literally what they say within the first episode. Well, they say that there's sadness underneath all of the air, but then as the story goes on, it seems like you just seem like an unpleasant person. She kills a guy stopping her from walking in. And she says, I've known people like you all my life. And it's this is just a dude doing his job. Yeah. Like, he has been perfectly polite about this, like, given the way you're behaving. And yeah, I know you have to get in to like, do, carry out your evil plan, but you're making this weirdly personal. Yeah, she's a like, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just seems like she wants to hurt anyone that annoys her. Their motivations for each of these surprise villains is so completely different that it's kind of hard to draw any kind of thread or theme from it all. And Sankrida, the alien villain, his motivation is he just wants revenge on his brother, who, which it turns out his brother's been dead for thousands of years anyway, so he's too late for that. That's a very classical twist there. I actually love that. So when each of these villains has very different motivations, it's... um. It kind of leaves you wondering, why was all of this happening? It doesn't feel like there was any kind of unifying theme or point to it all. I do think it it, 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 it flows together pretty well, even if there's not like a, the- like a strong theme connecting everyone together. It's just... So the Baronet is just... He's just discovered that the creature's dormant and that he can kind of harness its powers with his random psychic machine thing. And then Mrs. Moynihan is just doing the creature's bidding. Uh, so that's that's the very loose connection. And I guess it allows for there being some more like danger and thrill, considering the fact that, at least at first, Zancrieda just wants to leave. I mean, he still does some, gets Mrs. Moynihan to do some pretty horrible shit while doing that, but, you know. There's kind of a fourth surprise villain. Kind of, but not really. A weird thing in this is that there's only so many guest characters, and basically everyone of note turns out to be evil, with the exception of Professor Morgan, because, well, he gets killed and replaced by Sancrida, which is, again, one of the things that makes me think that they were both voiced by Toby Longworth. It's like he slides in from when the reveal happens, it's Professor Morgan is up at the dig, which I did. I saw that coming from a mile away when I first listened to this, but I... Th- I still liked it as a moment, and then he reveals that he's really Sancrida, and he even quotes City of Death. You know, <laughs> you now see me as I truly am. And okay, yeah. Not so here's, quite sure that was necessary. So but. here's my issue with this reveal, and it, this is this is like some dumb, like unimportant nitpicking, but I'm gonna mention it anyways. So what happens is that. Evelyn uh, has been recaptured by the Baronet. By the, Baronet. Uh, the Baronet, I think, gets, gets offed by Zancrida. And then, uh, what was the professor's name? Morgan. Professor Morgan slash Zancrida goes down into the cellar and he, and he rescues Evelyn and he asks, where's the stone that you had? Because 
there's like this stone that Evelyn found, which is actually a piece of alien tech that he needs. And we'll explain that in a little bit in a second. But anyways, and she's like, oh, it's back at the archaeology center. And then he's like, well, we better get back there. So why did he do that? Like, why did he take Evelyn with her? He has no reason to do that. <laughs> why didn't he just kill her or just leave her there? <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't. I don't really care. I just like the foreshadowing. It's that after Sancreda turns up at the manor and just kills um, Sir Archibald and Barnaby Edwards, and then the the first Evelyn knows of it is when Morgan opens the cellar door. It's like, oh, so Sancreda was there. Now Morgan was there, and that's the suggestion that there's been a kill and replace has happened. Oh yeah, like this isn't a flaw with with the with the piece. It's just a random thing that I noticed. Again, it's the kind of really small, not actually a plot hole that I shouldn't even comment on. I mean, he had no reason to kill her at that point. So he he asked her. He opened the door to ask her where the thing was, and when she told him, it's like. Well, he, he he's already let her out. He can just, like, might as yeah. well take her with him now. I guess that's true. Like got... mm. So, not re- like I said, it's not even really a plot hole. It's like a cinema sins level plot hole, if I'm being honest with myself. Yeah, I'm, yeah I agree. I, I really do not care about analyzing this at all. No, the far more fun thing happens after he gets revealed and he just decides to kill Mrs. Moynihan. Oh, yeah, and then she gets mauled by her own dogs, which are, like, the only people who she not people excuse me but the only living beings who she seems to care at all about <laughs> yeah that is um again that was something i'm pretty sure i saw coming from a while off when i first heard this but it still hits pretty hard when it happens oh yeah it's very gruesome uh... yeah so the climax of the story is Sancreda finding out that he wants revenge on his brother, but he actually accidentally killed his brother thousands of years ago. So he has a temper tantrum and decides to arbitrarily destroy the Earth. And the brigadier stops him using Chekhov's bit of copper wire, and (laughs) he explodes. That's the only time the brigadier does anything substantive. The only other time is like when he calls a unit to put in blockades to stop Moynihan from getting back into the country, but that doesn't even work. All it really seems to do is allow Nicholas Pig to have a cameo as random unit guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'll just explain one last thing, and this is just to cu- explain the thing about the stone. The aliens in this... Okay, this doesn't make any sense. Even for Doctor Who, this doesn't make sense. But basically, all of their technology is based on psychic power and bits of rock. That's literally how it's explained. Um, I'm assuming this is, like, tangentially connecting to stories about magic stones and things protecting people from fairies and actual folklore. But that's the that's the deal with the, with the stone. That's a really weird thing to end things with, but... Yeah, I just felt I should explain it. <laughs> yeah, there's way too much there's way too much technobabble in this story for my liking. Oh yeah. It's about even for Doctor Who, like there's 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 chunks where the where the doctor's just technobabble laying about how the technology works to the brigadier and a few others, and it's like, okay, this is it's like you said about they're just not being like here's the thing, you can do a gothic horror Doctor Who story, you just kind of eke out 
the reveal of what's going on. You can do that. But we know exactly what's going on within by within like the first or second episode. There's no real there's no real tension there. It also just means that we get these scenes of a lot of techno babble talk. It's a bit much. I feel like we're we're being very critical of a story that we both kind of enjoyed, but yeah, and yeah. that's why a lot of characters keep getting revealed as evil. You need some twists to keep the narrative going. Yeah. So, it's a bit weird that they pull X character as actually evil three times. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up. It's a little unusual. Uh... Yeah, it's uh, my final note on this is this is solid and enjoyable enough with a fairly distinct set of guest characters, but I'm kind of at a loss as, as if it was supposed to be about anything. Now, honestly, so. it doesn't have to be about anything. Like, something can be perfectly enjoyable without being, trying to make any kind of grand thematic statement. And there's this whole subplot with the TARDIS vanishing, and then it just like reappears at the end after Sankrida gets blown up. And I almost completely forgot to mention this because it's so arbitrary. The Doctor's just like going to the TARDIS to get a thing, but the TARDIS isn't there. And you'd think this would be this massive plot beat, but no, and... It's the hostile Once, action um, displacement system. Yeah, it's just like it hid away for a bit and it comes back when Sankrida and his ship are gone. It's um it just feels like it's there because having the TARDIS vanish or get stolen is a plot point that happens a lot in Classic Who. So yeah, uh my own final thoughts. I really like this. I mean, I feel like we've been very critical of it, but despite the fact that it's structured a bit weirdly and all that, it's a very pleasant listen. And despite being so traditional, it there's a lot of really fun stuff in it. So if you want your Who to be a little basic or traditional, whatever that means to you, this could be worth checking out. I certainly enjoyed it. More than I expected I would, to be honest, on a re-listen. So yeah, flawed but fun, basically. I feel one reason I may be harsher on this one than it actually deserves is because I listened to the trailer, and that's it's a feel, it's a good trailer. It's an atmospheric one with you know Colin Baker reciting poetry, but then you listen to it and you realize that it's actually fairly mm, by the numbers. Uh, uh, I feel how horrible saying that. So I was kind of a victim of my own expectations there, but I appreciate it more for what it is than what I wanted it to be. It isn't what I always want Doctor Who to be, but. You know, I'm glad that this exists. Yeah, much the same. This is the kind of story I hate when Doctor Who is, simply because it's so common. But I enjoyed this. I, I think that it, it does enough for that fact to not ruin it for me, if that makes sense. And it's funny you mentioned the thing about the trailer because of next time. Yeah. We'll get into that. Next time. Winter for the adept. Oh boy, Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Um, a few announcements before I get into our Twitter handles and things. So I've set up an email address. You can send us emails with your thoughts on whatever the next story is going to be or whatever the last one we just did. And we'll read them out on the podcast at the very end. Uh, I think that'd be a nice way to get some listener feedback. The email address is racewho at gmail.com that's racewho at gmail.com just like our twitter handle other than that i've mentioned this on twitter a few times and i'm just going to mention this here in case anyone somehow missed this because this is also going to go up on soundcloud but we are changing to a new platform uh 
I'm now, it's now being hosted, the podcast is now being hosted on Anchor, which means that you can find it either on anchor.fm or through Spotify, and we're working on getting out on a few more platforms. Uh, it's just easier for me, it's easier for me to get it onto other platforms, uploading it's a lot easier, it's built for podcasts, which SoundCloud isn't, so overall it's preferable. We still haven't gotten a lot of listens on the last episode I uploaded, so... Hopefully that's only a temporary thing, but we'll see. I'm rambling now. I apologize. Yeah. So thank you again for listening. My Twitter handle is at dmanity. Carrick is at Carrick of the Ord. Feel free to chat with us there, or you can chat with us on the podcast's main Twitter handle, which is again, at RaceWho. Bye.